Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to Sports Unlimited on Southern Sports Central, and it starts right now. Good morning and welcome to Sports Unlimited right here on Southern Sports Central. Did you miss me? I certainly hope so. My name is Brandon Biscobing. I am back after about a month and a half of a hiatus, taking some time off. Well, for one, I was calling baseball games throughout the month of June, and a lot of those games were during the day and, and in the morning. So Friday mornings were booked for me. Friday mornings were booked for me throughout June, and then just took a little bit of extra time, took the first couple of weeks of July off, uh, enjoying the summer, went up to New York last weekend, uh, so, you know, uh, but now I am back, and now we are right in the thick of things, because in just five weeks, football season's back already, I know. So fast this year. In just five weeks, high school football starts up again. In just four weeks, a lot of jamborees getting played. And in just a little over three weeks, some scrimmages are being played. So 
We'll have all that covered for you today. We're starting off, we're going to go from bottom to top throughout these next five weeks, previewing the SEHSL season and give you my thoughts, my predictions, all of that starting this week, starting today with 1A. We'll talk about 1A later on. We'll talk we'll talk high school football and we'll talk about a lot of high school stuff in the second hour of the show, so be sure to stay tuned for that. But we're going to start things off. I'm going to start things off with some national news. Go through some of the news and notes and and different things that happened throughout the month of June and and into July uh, this year or couple of months. Starting it off, we're going to kick it off with uh, with the NBA playoffs. And boy, were the NBA playoffs a wild trip. Um, the you know the last time I was on. We were still in the first round, and you were thinking, okay, you know, there are certain teams that look like they are go- they could be good. You had your favorites, but while there were some that probably at least had an idea that, okay, Milwaukee has a good chance of making it to the NBA Finals, potentially winning it. I don't think anyone, I don't think anyone had Phoenix making it all the way to the to the finals. And they started it off strong. Now, this team that, you know, has been plagued by injuries all season long, Anthony Davis wasn't himself. LeBron James wasn't himself. So I don't know if you it, – it definitely has to be considered an upset that Phoenix won, and not only one, but one in six. But I don't know how big of an, an upset it would be relative to what it could have been. Um, but that was definitely one of the big upsets of the uh, playoffs. You know, out in the West, you had you know Denver being Portland, not really that surprising there. The Clippers beating the Mavericks once again for the second year in a row in the first round, which you know, not too surprising. The the Mavericks did a much better job this year. And, you know, I think the Mavericks are going to be a team to watch over the next few years. They're getting better year by year. It's a lot like the Bucks, where prior to this year, a lot of people were saying, oh, does Giannis need an extra piece? Does he not have that it factor to win a championship? And over the next few years, I mean, that team is still very young. The Mavericks are still very young. But over the next few years, if they do not produce, you may start getting those same rumblings about Luka and the Mavericks. Now, whether it's right or wrong, fair or foul is is up for debate. And oh, by the way, 
if you want to call in, if you want to talk anything, whether it's local, regional, national, whatever you want to talk about in the sports world, be sure to call in 323-784-9681. But yeah, you know, the Lakers moving on, not really all that surprising. Uh, Utah being Memphis wasn't surprising. The Clippers being Utah, well, yes, it technically was an upset on the in terms of the uh, seeding. I don't really count that as an upset. Uh, Phoenix being Denver, at least in my mind, was a little bit of an upset, even though Phoenix was the higher seed. Uh, but then Phoenix beating the Clippers and and fairly handily four to two was was a surprise. The fact that Phoenix. Uh, you know, led and anchored by an older Chris Paul, you know, Devin Booker building his resume. It was a surprise. And now do I think, and I, I feel so bad for Chris Paul. He makes it so close and didn't help who the ref was for a few of those games. And if you know, you know, uh, do I think he has a chance of getting back? If he stays with Phoenix and Devin Booker continues to play the way he did this season and this playoffs, yeah, I think they'll be back. Are they going to be able to win it all? That's yet to be seen. That's going to be an interesting little uh, situation there. On the east side, Philly being Washington wasn't surprising. Atlanta beating the Knicks as handily as they did, especially after game one, was a surprise to me. The Knicks had a chance of making a run and, you know, beating Atlanta, maybe not necessarily being Philly, but, you know, getting themselves even that bigger footing. And, you know, while while they struggled after that first game, I think the Knicks are starting to come back. The Knicks are slowly starting to build themselves back up from from the the doldrums that they've been in for the last half decade, essentially. Bucks being Miami and sweeping them, not really all that surprising. Nets being Boston wasn't really all that surprising. But, you know, then going to the second round, you know, Philly being, or Atlanta being Philly was, was a bit of a surprise. Yes, it was in seven. But it was still a bit of a surprise, and and now even more so. Seems like every year the is the process done. Is Embiid and Simmons not the right pieces in Philly? And I talked about this last year. I talked about this with Philly needing to get some extra pieces around him, around them. Talking about potentially bringing in James Harden last year. But that never happened. And it's going to be very interesting to see what happens in Philly now throughout this offseason. Now that they've lost yet again. And, and even bigger this time losing to a lower seat. At least in my mind. A bigger deal. You know, Phil, or Milwaukee beat Brooklyn in seven. A little surprising, but not all that surprising. Like I said, you know, as we were going into the playoffs and, and a, as 
as we were getting into the tail end of the season, the hype around Brooklyn started to build again with them getting fully healthy, all, all of the pieces coming together. People were thinking that they could make a run. And from the beginning, even after the James Harden trade, I said, I don't think they're quite there yet. It's going to take another year for them to build that chemistry. Can it happen in the first year? Yes. Does it? Not very often. You need to build that chemistry. And this year now, with ha- with being able to have a full off season, that's another thing. Now, granted, James Harden came in during the season anyway, so they didn't have an off season to speak of to begin with. But even if James Harden had come in during the off season, this would have been a shortened off season that they wouldn't have been able to work out together as much as they would have liked. This year, they'll have a full off season, a full training camp to be able to get the pieces together and really build that team. And the Nets are going to come back with a vengeance next year. And I think it's it's pretty clear cut to me that it's either Milwaukee or Brooklyn who are coming out of the East next year. You can put that on tape right now. Well, I just did. It's either going to be Milwaukee or Brooklyn who's going to come out of these next year. Mark my words. But then Milwaukee, you know, they beat Brooklyn in seven. They beat, they beat Atlanta. And there was a lot of There was a lot of intrigue about this mil this finals. But at the same time, a lot of people were also thinking, two small market teams, how are the ratings going to be? And the ratings, while, yes, they were down from, or, you know, they were they were up from last season. But, you know, you have to think it was, it was a weird year. It was a pandemic year. It was in the bubble. Um... You know, there was a lot of controversy around the NBA last year. That may have played a factor. Whereas this year, because here's the other thing too. And I forget what day of the week, game six of the 2020 2020, uh, finals were played on. But you had a lot more competition last year at this time. Or, well, not at this time. But you had a lot more competition when Game 6 was being played last year as compared to this year. And this is something I'll talk about in just a second. But because in October, you had college football starting. You had the NFL uh, you had MLB going on still. They were in their playoffs, if I remember correctly, at that point. Uh, so, you know, you had a lot more sports competing against each other. Whereas this, this time, and before I talk about the finals itself and, and the games and whatnot, 
I think I think the NBA should keep this. You know, keep the the pushed back season. And and here's why. There is such and and same for the NHL, I think. You know, maybe even the NHL pushes back a little further. Because outside of like outside of soccer and even you know in a couple of years because of where they're playing it in in Qatar even the world cup isn't going to be in the summer the world cup is going to be in the fall in well late fall early winter in a couple of years well next year actually uh so you're not so you wouldn't even have that as competition or something else sport from the you know in a normal year in a normal non you know non pandemic non craziness year you have from about like mid to end of June, depending upon how many games each series gets played. You have mid to end of June all the way up through August, you know, beginning beginning mid of August. So essentially the entirety of July. And now, don't get me wrong, I'm... I'm not necessarily saying this is a bad thing because I'm a baseball fan. So I I like having baseball be front and center for a while. But for the sports landscape as a whole, and I understand that, you know, baseball I won't say it's a dying game, but it's it's a it's a game that a lot of more casual fans it it's not like football where it's just once a week and each game feels like it's more important because of the limited you know because of a smaller schedule whereas ball a lot of fans a lot more casual fans will kind of just oh okay you know the Yankees are on or the Braves are on. I'll I'll see what they're doing, but it's not something that they they base their day around. And so, you know, yes, having baseball being the only sport around is a good thing to an extent. At the same time, especially with all the options in in entertainment that you have nowadays, this isn't like back you know, pre pre internet, pre Netflix, pre Hulu, pre all the streaming services. Where you will just turn on the T V and channel flip. And if there's a game on, then then you turn it on and, and you watch it for a little bit. But you may not even stay on it. You may just, you know, watch it until it goes to commercial and then continue your channel flip. And and maybe catch it again later on in the game. So having it 
where that's the only game in town, while it may help the ratings a little bit, it also hurts, I think, at the same time, because instead of being on the TV for the NBA Finals at this time of year, and then maybe just during a break being like, oh, let's see what the Braves are doing. Let's see what the Yankees are doing. Let's see what the Mets are doing, whoever your team is. Instead, you have to make that effort to go go watch the game. And and I'm I'm I'd be curious to know what the ratings are this year for some of the games in the beginning and middle of July as compared to how they were in years past when baseball was the only sport on TV. And 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 I understand. You know, summer is always kind of a dead period anyway for sports where, you know, people are focused on other things, people are going on vacation, people are focused on family, stuff like that. But it it does it gives you some options. So that that's my thought on the matter. Scheduling, uh, like to see this continue with, um, or even if you wanted to extend the season, you could still start it in the beginning of November, but extend it. You know, a lot of people talk about the the load management issue and the issues of teams resting players and all of that. Extend the season. Have it start in the beginning of in the beginning of November, and have it end now. Have it end when it did, you know, mid middle of July. And you don't need to expand the season. Just extend the the breaks. Extend the breaks between games. So instead of having, you know, three games a week, three or four games a week, maybe you only have two games a week. Or sometimes maybe even one, just one game a week. I think that would help on a lot of different levels. But that's just my thought. I, they, I don't think, I haven't seen anything uh, in terms of, what the NBA has planned for next season in terms of scheduling and when they're starting and whatnot. At least that I know. If you've seen something different, if you if you know more than I do, please call on in. Give me um, give, give me your thoughts on this, and I want to hear your thoughts on on what you think this this should be done. Three two three seven eight four nine six eight one is that number to call. That number again. Three two three seven eight four nine six eight one. Uh, but before I jump to another quick talking point and before I take a break, just talk about you know, what this means for Giannis and and for the Bucks. It definitely solidifies Giannis as one of the best players in the world right now. And a lot of people are starting already to talk about where he lands in terms of greatest of all time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's way too early to start talking about that. 
He's Yes, he's been in the league for a few years, but this was his breakout moment, at least in my opinion. Um, because this was the moment that said, this was his moment that said, hey, I can do it in the clutch. I can win when it matters most. And so, yeah, that's that's pretty much all I've got for that. Um, I think it it's definitely something um, definitely something that uh, it's gonna make these next few years. It, it's kind of interesting now. For so many years, you basically had oh, the West is the intriguing conference, and the East you basically knew. Oh, either, you know, LeBron but as the Cavaliers would go to the finals or the Heat would go to the finals. There were only maybe one or two teams that had a legit chance. And everyone else was kind of meh. Now, both conferences have a lot of intrigue behind them. Okay, so before I take a break, Quick little thoughts on the Stanley Cup playoffs uh, and the Stanley Cup finals. Let me say this first. Let me get this out of the way first. The Montreal Canadiens, and I'm sorry if there are any Canadian fans and Canadians listening right now, but I'm just staying facts. If this were a regular season with the with the divisions the way they were, with the divisions the way they were they normally are, the Canadians would not have made the Stanley Cup Finals. Point blank. Canada, because of the laws in Canada, they got extremely lucky that they basically they they did they guaranteed that one of their teams would at least make it to the Western Conference Championship game. And yes, don't get me wrong, they were able to beat the Golden Knights, who I thought would be one of the favorites to win it all this year. But the fact that they had an easier road, I think, I think helped them make it it didn't happen anyway because the Lightning won. The Lightning won the chan- the cup again. And congratulations to them. But my main thought is the Canadians would not have been there if this were a regular season. I- I'm just saying facts. And if-, if, you- if you disagree with me, please call on and give me your thoughts on that. 323-784-9681 is that number to call. That number again, 323-725, or excuse me, 323-784-9681. I'll take a quick break, and we'll come back, talk some college stuff, a lot of intriguing things going on in the college football world as we creep closer and closer to the regular season. Uh, and closer and closer to the football season, we'll talk about that. And then, like I mentioned, at the top of the hour, got a lot of high school notes and a big high school, a big 1A high school football preview for you guys. So keep it locked right here 
Sports Unlimited on Southern Sports Central. Hey, yo. You ready? Let's do it.
Welcome back to Sports Unlimited right here on Southern Sports Central. My name is Brandon Biscabing, and like I said, we're going to transfer, we're going to transition over to some college sports news. Uh, first, before we get to the big news that has broken over the last few weeks, and one that just broke a few days ago, um, talk about a smaller, still big news. But a little smaller news, right? You know, just a few months or maybe even a few weeks after Roy Williams called it quits, said he was hanging up his uh, jacket and is retiring from head coaching at at North Carolina. His arch rival across the way, over in Durham at Duke, Mike Shashevsky, decides to say. I'm going to hang it up as well. And he's not re- he's not retiring now. He is not retired right now. He's going to coach one more season this upcoming year. He will be hanging up his head coaching jacket as well. Uh John Shire will be taking over as the new head coach following this season. But, boy, is this going to change how the ACC basketball landscape is going to look. Both of the two blue blood coaches, Krzyzewski and Roy Williams, both gone from, you know, two of the biggest powerhouses. And and how does this change the landscape now with everything going on with NIL and everything? And... Before we get to NIL, because I'm going to wait to talk about that uh, at the end of this hour, because it'll just, it'll transition perfectly into me talking about some recruiting notes and and talking about high school. But, you know, but that will be coming up at the, at the bottom of the hour. But before that, let me just say, and NIL is part of this as well. NIL, I think, is playing a big factor in this. But ladies and gentlemen, we are at a crossroads when it comes to college athletics. And what's disappointing to me, even though I'm getting more into it now, now that I'm calling high school football, and now that I have a bit of a vested interest into it, you know, I'm I'm getting more into college football, but you know, I've always been more. I've been a pro- big proponent for college basketball, and and the lower end sports. You know, baseball, the Olympic sports, all of that. But we are at a crossroads when it comes to how college athletics will be looked at, and what happens to the entire landscape. And here's why. It it does portion of it I think does boil down to NIL. But an, but another factor all boils down to how much or how little power does the NCAA really hold over these large universities and conferences. Let's start with the first note that this one at least for football is a good thing the working group around the college football playoff has officially proposed 
and and put forward a proposal and and want and is is focused on making a 12 team college football playoff work and i'm sure i'm sure everyone has seen it already but in case you haven't the top 4 teams will make it into the uh will have a first round bye and will automatically make it into the second round. The next eight teams will face each other in in a home game. The the top the higher seed would get a home game. Then the second, third and finally the the championship round would be at neutral bowl site. So you would have all the um, you would all, we you would have all of the the big six bowls. Not sure exactly how that would work, but you know they're still kind of in the preliminary stages. At least based on what I've seen, they haven't even officially said yes, this is what we're doing and this is when it's going to happen, et cetera, et cetera. And based on everything I've heard, it's not looking like it's going to happen at least for the next couple of years. So at least as of right now, we're still stuck with mythical national champions, but this is a great first step. And and while I think you would be hard-pressed to be able to keep them out with a 12-team playoff, part of this is, is, how, is that... The group of five are automatically put in, and not just that, not just that. And and now this could change by the time it gets officially implemented. But according to the proposal, it's not saying power five champions and then top group of five champions. No, it said top six automatic bids. So now, now granted, last year was was a wacky year. So I don't know if you can really use that as a template. But if you go based off of last year, the Pac-12 champion would not have made it into this format. It would have been Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, Oklahoma. Or actually, no, yeah. Yeah, Clemson, Alabama, uh, Clemson, Alabama, Ohio State, Oklahoma, Cincinnati, and Coastal Carolina would have been the six conference champions who would have made it into the playoff. And that would be great. This is exactly what every group of five fan, every football fan has been wanting for essentially decades at this point. Once this happens, then you can finally say that college football has a real national championship. And the champion and the and the champions are legitimate, not mythical. So it's a great first step for college football. Now whether whether or not it happens it's still in the very 
preliminary process of it happening. But then, but but it's a good step. Hopefully it happens. But then on the flip side, then you have, you know, all of the talk about how much power does the NCAA really have? How much control of this do the conferences have, et cetera, et cetera? And then the bombshell that broke, I forget if it was, it was either yesterday or the day before yesterday, that Texas and Oklahoma are in serious talks, at least based on what it sounds, joining the SEC. And boy, would that cause a major, major shift in college football. And so and if you think that the the conference realignment from 2012 and 2013 was was altering to the college football and college athletics landscape this would be even bigger. And and the crazy thing is that they were talking about potential back then, but it never happened. And now it's looking more and more likely. Apparently, according to reports, the Pat or the Big Twelve had a had a meeting last night, but Texas and Oklahoma were not involved in it. So this if this happens if this happens, it will be – I don't even know what the landscape of college football and college athletics would look like because the Big 12 would have one of two choices if that were to happen. Either they have to grab a few other schools to add to the conference – or that conference is folding. And then it creates those ripple effects down to the lower conferences. Because here's the thing. Here would be how I would play this if I were the Big 12. Under the assumption that there's no way that that Texas and Oklahoma are staying. Let's just play under that assumption that sweet of a deal you make with them they're they're gone they're out the door if i'm if if i'm the big 12 i'm grabbing houston i'm grabbing smu and i'll grab rice as well and there may be one there may be one other team that you know that one other team in that footprint that you may want to you may want to grab maybe Tulsa maybe Tulsa but you grab those Texas and Oklahoma teams that are not in a power conference right now and bring them up and then that's going to create a ripple effect that's going to create the domino effect because now the American needs to look for some new some new blood for them. And they're going to look to either, probably either Conference USA or the MAC, maybe even the Sun Belt, 
and they're going to try to poach from them. And then the, the process, the, that domino effect is just going to continue further and further down. And this is where me saying, me talking about the dyna- the power dynamic between the NCAA and the conferences comes into play. Where does it stop? Because here's the other thing that I didn't even bring into the fold. Once this happens, and especially after the dominoes start falling, the Pac-12 may say, oh, we need to keep up with the Joneses. We need to get a few more teams into our conference. So they may maybe go after Boise State. Maybe they go after Fresno State. Who knows? Who knows who they go after? But then that creates a ripple into the Midwest, into the Mountain West Conference. So this is going, once it happens, then then everything's on the table. Then the gauntlet's thrown down and and you're in a, then you're in a very crazy situation where you don't know what's going to happen. I mean, look at some of the moves that happened following Pittsburgh and and Syracuse jumping to the ACC from the Big East back in 2012. Did anyone, did anyone expect a school like West Virginia, who is out here, it's not exactly East Coast, but it's close to it, to join the Big which is a Southwest Conference. No, absolutely not. I mean, hell, Rutgers. Rutgers in the Big Ten doesn't make any sense. And this is the problem. And not all, and and here's the funny thing. Here's the funny thing to me. And and yeah, you hear it every now and again. But this is the thing this is the one thing that kind of irks me about certain college football fans is that to the playoffs and expanding the playoffs which would be good for the sport as a whole. A lot of the people who are against it are their main issue with it or or their main excuse for not liking it is Oh, what about tradition? What about, you know, making rivalry games count? What about having every game count, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? Well, first off, that's a load of BS because, you know, you're you're going to make every game count even more than it already does. Because right now, let's face it, right now, only about maybe I'll be generous and say 20%. 20% of the games that are played every week actually matter when it comes to the college football invitational. Because and and out of those 20%, maybe only 5% and that may also be generous are actually going to be competitive. Because, especially in non-conference play, 
a lot of those games, you know, the the top dog schools are playing cupcakes and they're just going to slaughter them. So right now, there aren't many games that really matter because over half of the schools are playing glorified exhibition seasons with nothing to play for other than, oh, we get to say we go to the Sugar Bowl bowl or the Fiesta Bowl or, you know, or, you know, even below that, you know, you know, those are the, that, that's the, that's the, that's the ultimate goal is to make, you know, the Sugar or the Fiesta or whatever New Year's Six Bowl you can. And even that, it, you know, especially nowadays is, uncertain because I think, you know, these bowls and, and, and the committee and everything don't want to put these groups of group of five schools into the new year six because they don't want to run the risk of having what happened, uh, you know, whether it was, you know, you know, back in, I think it was 2008 or something sometime in the mid to late 2000s. When Boise State, I'm trying to remember who they beat, but when Boise State beat someone in one of the New Year's Six Bowls, one a pretty good Power Five school, and then the next year they decided to come up with DC to avoid that situation, uh, or with what happened a few years ago with UCF beating Auburn in in the I believe. Was it? It was either a Sugar Bowl. I think it was a Sugar Bowl. Um, and so, you know, you they they don't want that to happen again. So now it's a situation where, oh, we need to make sure that this doesn't happen again. And so, as a result, they try to avoid that as best as, as much as they can. But so that whole myth of every game counting is is just that. But what's ironic about it, going back to my original point with this, what's ironic about it is those same people who talk about tradition and talk about, you know, games counting more and and the rivalries and the pageantry of of college football getting thrown away because of the because of the playoffs being expanded. Those same people don't bat an eye when centuries-old rivalries get destroyed by a money grab, by conference realignment. Look at all of the rivalries that in the past would have been played every single year because they were in the same conference. And now, some of them you still get. Some of them they've made an agreement to play every year, and and that's great. But others have gone by the wayside. You know, uh, you know, te- you know, going into the the Big Twelve. You know, Missouri and Kansas. You know that big rivalry, which has historical significance. That rivalry is based around bleeding Kansas before the Civil War. 
that rivalry has gone by the wayside. You know, te- Texas A&M and the other Texas schools, that's gone by the wayside. You know, uh, I'm sure there there are plenty of others. Um, I'm just not, you know, Pitt, Pittsburgh and West Virginia. Now, granted, you know, that was one that, you know, the 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 Big East helped. Um, and they played even before that as independents. But now with them being in different conferences, that one has gone by the wayside. You know, uh, so, and and there are plenty more. There are there are plenty more that um, you know I I didn't mention, but but that sort of situation that that's what's happening now in college football where it's you know the the rivalries don't matter, geography doesn't matter, and if the NCAA would want to try to try to hold on to some power and and try to create a a fair and balanced system in college football and all college athletics for that matter. I think at this point they just need to step in and say, okay, the the big boys want to play at a certain level, then here's what you got to do. You you take the the top you know, however many teams you want to take. You take the top, you know, I don't know. I don't know how many teams I would take. But you split it up into six conferences based around geography, purely geographical conferences, and... And then you create the 12 team or however many team playoff you want, and all six conferences get an automatic berth. That's how I would do it. That that's how um, that's how it needs to be done. I know it's not going to happen, but that's the only way, in my opinion, that you can save college athletics in terms of conferences. Because it it just doesn't make sense. You know, I, I don't want to see, you know, I want to see things make sense. You know, Rutgers in the Big Ten doesn't make sense. West Virginia in, in the Big 12 doesn't make sense. I mean, well, you know, the, you know, Texas and Oklahoma in the SEC doesn't make sense. It's the SEC not the it's not the southern conference it's the southeastern conference so no it just it doesn't work it doesn't work i know we're more than likely going to get it i'm already preparing myself for that inevitability but i'm just saying i do not like it whatsoever and like I mentioned, this all boils down to NIL, name, image, and likeness, becoming legal. NCAA finally, you know, threw up their hands and said, okay, you know, this is going to be inevitable. So they allowed it throughout the country at right at the moment when a lot of states would have allowed it anyway. So, 
And, you know, it, it, it hasn't done, you know, a lot of people were saying, oh, this is going to ruin COD. You know, a lot of guys have gotten sponsorship opportunities, which is great. You know, they deserve to make some money off of, you know, off of what they're doing. And and here's the thing, too. Any other student, you can have a part-time job. If if you're, you know, if you're doing like YouTube or, or Vine or TikTok or whatnot, and you get a big following, you can get a sponsorship even if you're in college, if you're not an athlete. It's just creating that, that level playing ground. If they really are student athletes, then they should be able to do the same exact things that other regular students are able to do. You know, the world is changing now. And and the NCAA needs to change which is, with it, and, and it seems like they are. So that's a good thing. Uh, but, you know, where it goes from here is going to be the big question. But I do think that this NIL stuff is what's creating the situation that's making these moves possible. You know, so it it's going to be interesting to see how that how that impacts things moving forward. But I I'm I'm a fan of the 12 team playoff, but not a fan of Texas and Oklahoma moving to the SEC, but we're just going to have to wait and see. We may have a lot of news to break next week. Who knows? It's going to be a very interesting next couple of weeks on that front. So I'll take a quick break. Come right back. We'll, I'll run down a lot a lot of recruiting going on in the state of South Carolina this week or this month, these, this past month and a half. Uh, run through all that. A lot of summer, uh, a lot of summer camps going on. Movement on the coaching front. We'll run through all that, uh, and then at probably at the bottom of the hour, we'll do the 1A preview, and then at nine, I've got Ian Garen from Maori News coming on. So be sure to keep it locked right here on Sports Unlimited on Southern Sports Central. I can't begin to know him, but then I know it's growing strong. Wasn't the spring, and spring became the summer, who'd have believed you'd come along? Touching hands, reaching out, touching me, touching you.
And it don't seem so lonely We fill it up with only two And when I hurt Burden runs off my shoulders How can I hurt when holding you? Warm Touching warm Reaching out Touching me Welcome back to Sports Unlimited right here on Southern Sports Central. My name is Brandon Biscobing, and like I mentioned, we're going to transition to the high school side now. But if you want to get your call in, if you want to talk about anything sports, high school, college, pros, what have you, be sure to call in 323-784-9681 is that number to call. That number again, 323-784-9681. We'll switch over to some recruiting news. Uh, talk about all the different guys that have gotten plenty of scholarship offers throughout the state of South Carolina. Started up in the upstate uh, where five Greenville players got offers over the past couple of months. Ashton Whitner from Greenville offered by Kent State and Georgia Southern. Josh Sapp was offered by Florida A&M, Middle Tennessee State, and App State. Theus Franklin offered by Marshall Fordham and Eastern Kentucky. Elijah Kelly from Greenville, offered by Eastern Michigan. And rounding things off at Greenville was Mazio Bennett, who was offered by Coastal. A couple of Gaffney guys got offers. Grayson Loftus was offered by App State, Charlotte, Kentucky, and West Virginia, with Sawyer Whitman, being offered by the Citadel. Over in Spartanburg, Raheem Jeter uh, was offered by Kentucky. Cam Pringle from Woodland was offered by Florida. Robbie Harrison from Emerald got a bunch of offers over the summer, getting offered by Charlotte, Arkansas State, Georgia, Michigan, and Kansas State. Deuce Caldwell from Malden was offered by Kansas, but then Later on in the summer, just a few weeks ago, was decided to commit to UNC. 
Marcus Boston Brinkley from Fort Mill was offered by Richmond. Noah Summers from Rock Hill was offered by Charleston Southern. Ty Teo from Spring Valley was offered by and then eventually committed to Georgia Southern. Also from Spring Valley, DQ Smith offered by Temple. Miss Hun Kelly from Daniel was offered by Louisville and Mill, Mill, yeah, Mill Tennessee State. Trent Pierman from Daniel was offered by Alabama. Jeremiah Lomex from from Abbeville was offered by Charleston Southern. A couple of Southside Christian guys were offered. Michael Kennedy was offered by Jackson State with Tyler Sonnenborn Sonnenborn offered by Presbyterian. Regian Bennett from Trinity Collegiate was offered by a bunch of schools over the summer, but then decided to commit to Buffalo, was offered by Dartmouth. Austin P. Furman, Charleston Southern, and ULM, but like I mentioned, decided eventually to commit to the Bulls. Trey McLeod from Trinity Collegiate was offered by Furman and Fordham, and then eventually committed to Furman. Carson Black from Nation 4, offered by Cincinnati. Davis Wilson from Clinton, offered by Presbyterian. Bennett Galloway from Chapin got a bunch of offers and did make a commitment was offered by Brown, Wofford, Elon, Air Force, NC State, and Georgia State. And he did he decided to commit to NC State and the Wolfpack. Jaden Bradford from Chapin also from Chapin was offered by NC State, Vanderbilt, Virginia Tech, Georgia Tech, and Georgia State. Chapin looking like they could have a great season this year. We'll talk about them later on in August. Jaden Davis from Catalba Ridge offered by Ohio State. Jaden McGowan from Lawrence offered by Richmond. Darius Bowser from Clover offered by Bucknell. RJ Rock from Charleston Collegiate offered by Citadel. Hakeem Barr from King Street offered by Citadel, Jacob Ashley from Oceanside, a bunch of Oceanside collegiate guys. Not really all that surprising. They got a lot of offers. Jacob Ashley offered by Charleston Southern and Charlotte. He eventually decided to commit to the 49ers of Charlotte. Carson Arnold from Oceanside offered by Citadel. Monroe Freeling was offered by Clemson and Stanford. He's been getting a ton of offers. Spencer McKinley, offered by Charleston Southern. Over at T.L. Hanna, Chat Pendergrass was offered by Clemson. And Fletcher Cothran was offered by Charleston Southern and South Carolina. Over at Dorman, a few Dorman Cavaliers got offers. D.J. Getz, offered by App State and Old Dominion. Will White, offered by Howard. Nick Bird offered by Presbyterian. Over at Wren, Travis, Travon West offered by Kansas State, Marshall, Eastern Kentucky, and Troy, with Gavin Owens being offered by Kentucky as well. Marion McLeod from Indian Land offered by Campbell, and then eventually committed to Elon. John Martin from Burns offered by Presbyterian. Kyla Corrin from Clarendon Hall, offered by Virginia Tech and Coastal, decided to commit, though, 
to South Carolina. Rondarius Porter from Heathwood Hall offered by Tennessee. Jordan Knox, a couple of Northwestern guys got offers. Jordan Knox offered by USF and Kalik Cunningham offered by the Citadel. Jaden McGowan from Lawrence offered by Yale and Liberty. James Rawl also from Lawrence offered by Eastern Kentucky. Kazarius Adams, a, bu- a couple of great collegiate guys. Kazarius Adams offered by Wofford and Howard with Alec Johnson being offered by SC State and Georgia State, decided to commit to Georgia State. Nick Emmawari from Irmo was offered by South Carolina and then decided to commit there, so he will be a Gamecock. Desmond Boatwright from Blythewood offered by Miami, Ohio, and Georgia State. Drew Stevens from North Augusta was offered by a few schools and decided to make a commitment. Offered by South Carolina, Iowa, and NC State. He's decided to go up north. He's going to be a Hawkeye following this season. He's going to Iowa. Jamorian Franklin from Lake City, offered by Charlotte and East Carolina, decided to commit to ECU. Daryl DePass from Buford, a couple of Buford guys. He was offered by Charlotte and Austin P. while Eamon Smalls, also from Buford, offered by Liberty. Craig Williams from River Bluff was offered by Tennessee Tech. Davion Johnson from Cane Bay offered by the Citadel. Apollos Cook from River Bluff offered by West Virginia. A couple of Ridgeview guys offered received offers. Trey Franklin offered by SC State and FIU. Zion Agnew Offered by Charlotte, and if you guys remember, that's where Coach Parks went, the former Blazer head coach, so he could potentially reunite with his former head coach. Chris Lawson was offered by Virginia Tech and Wake Forest. Over at Dutch Fork, a bunch of guys getting offers, although one of them will not be at Dutch Fork next season, this upcoming season. Landon Danley from Dutch Fork offered by Charlotte. Devin Hyatt, who has decided to transfer to IMG Academy, offered by Alabama and Marshall. Elaine Appler from Dutch Fork offered by Bowling Green. And rounding the offices is Jack Al-Khatib. He was offered by Presbyterian. Demetrius Watson from Fort Dorchester, offered by South Carolina and Syracuse. Cortez Braham from Westwood, offered by UAPB. Akron, Buffalo, and Charlotte, he decided to commit to Buffalo. Julian Milligan from Westwood, offered by Presbyterian. Kelvin Hunter from West Florence, offered by South Carolina. Davin Jackson from Sumter offered by South Carolina as well. Although disappointing news for him as he tore his ACL during summer summer camps. And as a result, he will not be playing for the Fighting Gamecocks this season. And that's a big blow for Sumter uh, because they're gonna, they were going to be focusing heavily on that strong defensive line 
with Jackson, especially with them losing a few pieces as well. You know, last year they last year they had Justice Spoon. Uh, you know, they had Miles Capers. They had Deshaun McKnight. Those are more. Those two were playing linebacker, but still, you had Justice Boone out there. Uh, you know, I, you know, you had Monty Grimes, who's already been getting some looks uh, coming into his junior year, and he was going to be, you know, probably replacing Boone. But now he's going to be basically by himself on that defensive line because Jackson isn't going to be there. And and they don't really have any other big pieces that are getting those big offers uh, still there. So that's going to make things very interesting over at Sumter this year. Uh, Sat from St. James was offered by Wofford. Seth Cluis from North Myrtle Beach offered by Valprezio. Mac Walters from Myrtle Beach offered by Wofford. Trey Phillips also from Myrtle Beach offered by the Citadel. On the basketball court, Kendall Parker from Gray Collegiate was offered by Jacksonville State. Brandon Gardner from Gray Collegiate continues to get a ton of offers. Over the summer thus far has been offered by Penn State, Auburn, Florida, Georgia, Alabama, Maryland, Kansas, NC State, and Memphis. He has the pick of the litter, pretty much, uh, for where he wants to go and where where he decides it, that's going to be a thing to watch this season. Jazzy and Gortman from Georgia Simpson from Orangeburg Wilkinson offered by High Point. Noah Clowney from Dorman, he's also been getting a bunch of offers, was offered by South Carolina, Alabama, Wake, Wake Forest, Texas Tech, Florida. Jordan Surratt from Dorman, also from Dorman, offered by Youngstown State. Sam Scott from Lexington was offered by Wake Forest, South Carolina, Georgia, and Ole Miss. Kyle Green from Blythewood, offered by South Carolina and Clemson. Julian Phillips from Blythewood, offered by Tennessee and UCLA. Gregory Jackson, Gigi Jackson from Ridgeview, he got a bunch of offers thus far. Offered by Tennessee, LSU, Florida, Ole Miss, North Carolina, Duke, NC State, and Maryland. And this is where the fact that Mike Krzyzewski and Roy Williams aren't going to be at Duke and UNC makes things interesting. For a guy like Gigi Jackson, does Bloods even without the legendary head coach, or does he potentially decide to go elsewhere? It's gonna be that's gonna be the thing to watch uh, over the you know over these next few years with them retiring. Jamari Briggs from Hartsville was offered by North Carolina A and T. That rounds out the boy side of the basketball court. On the girls side, Joyce Edwards from Camden continues to get offers. Offered by Kentucky, Ole Miss, and NC State. Raina McGowan from Wren, offered by App State and Presbyterian. Lauren Jacobs from Cardinal Newman, offered by Furman. And Jessica Woods from Westwood, offered by App State, Elon, and Presbyterian. Moving over to the commitments, 
Mason Johnstone from Christchurch committed to Clemson. Griffin Bat from Daniel committed to Clemson as well. Xavier Short from Chapin committed to App State. Zaire Scotland from Walhalla committed to Kennesaw State. Jacoby Henderson from Catalba Ridge committed to Marshall. C.J. Stokes from Hammond committed to Michigan. Quan Peterson from South Point committed to Syracuse. Kanoya Vineset from Northwestern committed to NC State. Trey Peterson from Spring Valley committed to Army. Donnie Dixon from Blythewood committed to SC State. Bryson Jones from Lexington committed to Charleston Southern. Kasim Valls from Irmo committed to Alabama A&M. A big one. This was a this was a fun uh, fun announcement to watch. They they aired it on YouTube. Jalen Sneed from Hilton Head committing to Notre Dame. And Chandler Miller from Ridgeview committed to SC State. On the basketball court, Zachary Davis from Denmark Olart committed to South Carolina. Davion Everett from Ridgeview committed to Western Carolina. On the girls' side, Tyra, Mil- Tyra Myers from Hammond committed to St. Francis. And there were a bunch of baseball commitments over the summer. Yates Bland from Chapin committed to the Citadel. Ethan Darden from Northwestern committed to Clemson. Brent Gibbs from Spring Valley committed to Clemson as well, as did Nathan Hall from Lexington. He hit over 500 this past season, so he'll look to continue that next se- this uh, this upcoming season, well, next year, and then going into Clemson as well. Kyle Percival from Andrew Jackson committed to UNC. Bentley Yeats from Hammond committed to UNC Asheville. Alex Nevels from Blythewood committed to Wofford. Kevin Steelman from Blythewood committed to Charleston. Caleb Costa from Oceanside Collegiate committed to USC Upstate. Max Childress from AC Flora committed to Citadel. Thomas Powell from Riverbluff committed to South Carolina. Tyler Hodges from Dutch Fork committed to Charleston. Cam Canarella from Hartsville committed to Clemson. And rounding things off, Brandon Eldridge from Conway, the local guy, committed to West Signings. Guys that were committed that decided to put pen to paper. Trad Beatty from Chapin signed with Georgia Tech. Victor Atubu from Waccamaw decided to sign with SC State. And on the baseball diamond, Cade Bird from Sockasty signed with Clemson. So there are there's the recruiting notes uh, for you guys for this season or for this uh Summer essentially. There, I'm, there probably will be a few more before the summer ends. Give you all of those. Run through some of the coaching carousel uh, stuff that happened over these last couple of months in, on the high school side. Billy Keels decided to retire uh, as the Louisville baseball coach. 
initially said he was going to retire completely, but then decided to take over at Union County. Phil Strickland retired as the Newberry football. Well, he will be retiring following this season as the Newberry football head coach. Micah Young resigned as Wilson's baseball coach. Wilson had a rough year on the baseball diamond this past season. Tim Carson stepped down as West Oak football coach with the offensive coordinator Glenn Paget take, taking over the reins there. Ridview named Rod Sanders as the new baseball coach. He's the brother of former All-Star Reggie Sanders, played in the and Rod played in the minors for the Reds and worked for the Dodgers uh, for a while. And he played high school at Wilson. We just talked about Wilson. Uh, he played over there uh, when he was in high school. Manning named Werner Hilton as their new girls basketball coach. Zach Corliss named the new boys basketball coach. At Hillcrest, Justin Henson was named the new baseball head coach at Landrum. He was a he's a 2007 graduate of Landrum High School. A. Reed named the new head boys basketball coach at Ben Lippin. He played for Lexington. Brad Dobles named as a new boys basketball coach at Ashley Ridge. Was at Goose Creek for a while. Won the state championship there. And previous to that was the coach at Ashley Ridge for three years with the last season being in 2018 before going to Francis Marion. Seth Cooper was hired as the new White Knoll baseball coach, was at Adesso. Corbin Boone hired as the new cross basketball coach, is a cross native and was an assistant at Woodland. Trina Wagstaff hired as a new Irmo girls basketball coach. John Bolton will be heading over to JL Mann as the new baseball coach. Brian Hennessy hired as the new Marion football coach. Played for Marion and was the offensive coordinator there and was already the AD at Marion. Now we'll have... We'll, uh, assume both roles and will be both the AD and the head football coach. So he's going to have his hands cut out, hands, uh, his work cut out for him uh, and his hands full at Marion. And they're, they're a program that expects success. So he, he we'll see how that works at Marion. Zach Jacobs from Berkeley hired as a new Buford head coach, head baseball coach. And also played at Berkeley, uh, was a JV coach at Berkeley and played at Berkeley when he was in high school, but now moving over to Buford. Brad Boob hired as the new Hartsville AD, was the assistant AD uh, prior to elevating his role. Kendrell Timmons hired as a new West Florence girls basketball coach, played at Hannah Pamplico and was the boys coach there prior to getting hired as a new West Florence girls coach. Shaniqua Bennett hired as a new Darlington girls basketball coach. 
was the JV head coach since 2016. Lots of movement on the girls' side in Region 6-4A. Brooke Smith, even though she's only been at North Myrtle for a few years now, she's going to be one of the longest tenured head coaches uh, in the region come next season. Tyler Vick, named as the new Waccamaw baseball coach, played at Waccamaw and has been an assistant under Jeff Gregory for the last few years. Thane Manis, hired as the new Carolina Forest baseball coach, was at Dreer. Uh, so that should be interesting. And something, a, a big, uh, actually, I'll save that for later. There, there's, a, there's some big news uh, on the Horry County front um, at, for the county as a whole that we'll talk about later on uh, when we, um, right before we talk, when we talk to uh, Ian Guerin from Maori News about some things um, that have been going on over the, over the, um, over the summer. So we'll, we'll talk to him about that uh, in just a little bit. Um, a few other quick notes before we take a quick break. Jazzy and Gortman, we mentioned earlier from Keenan, ranked 13th in the 24-7 sports class of 2022 basketball rankings. Julian Phillips, who we also talked about earlier, ranked 36. Cam Scott from Lexington ranked 10th in ESPN's class of 2024 basketball rankings. So while not so much here in Horry County and in, on the Grand Strand, and even even in the PD, not quite as much, when you go into the Midlands and definitely in the upstate with Dorman, while football is king in the state of South Carolina, you still have some pretty good uh, basketball programs here in South Carolina. And then come right back. We'll spend the next half hour talking about going through a full preview of 1A football, going through each region, talking about who the who the favorites are, who could potentially be upset specialists, and how this season is going to play out on the 1A level. So be sure to stick, keep it right locked right here on Sports Unlimited on Southern Sports Central. We'll be right back. Try 
my brand new guitar. Baby's got a habit, diamond rings and Fendi sports bras. Riding down Rodeo in my Maserati sports car. Got no stress, I've been through all that. I'm like a Marlboro man, so I keep on back. Wish I could roll on back to that old town road. I wanna ride till I can't go. Welcome back to Sports Unlimited right here on Southern Sports Central. And like I mentioned, for the next half hour, at 9 o'clock, I'll have Ian Guerin from Maori News coming on, and we'll talk about a few things around the area that's been going on. One, well, two big news stories in particular that uh, came out over the last couple of weeks. Uh, that definitely want to get his thoughts on and and where things move forward here in Horry County. But before we get to that, for the next half hour, I will go through a full preview of the of 1A football and what to expect this year, who the favorites are, who could maybe some be some of the sleepers this season uh, for. Um, for 1A football. We'll start up in the upstate with Region 1 and this one I think it and and even even on a whole in in the state. And this is going to be a theme really only for the bottom and the top uh classifications. But even even though they've lost a few pieces I still think Southside Christian is the odds-on favorite, not just to win the region, but to win the whole thing. Uh, you know, I I could see Dixie potentially making a step forward. Uh, I think they'll at least make the playoffs. Um, you know, but Southside Christian is the team to beat in 1A. And, and they will continue to do so. Uh, in Region 2, uh, you know, Lamar is going to be the team to beat probably in that region. Uh, I could see Great Falls making a, m- making some improvements, potentially making it into the playoffs. Uh, but, you know, Lamar is going to be the team to beat there. Uh, I will actually get to see um, Lamar play uh in at at Carolina Forest in September uh Lamar heading out to Carolina Forest to play in week week 4 um so that that should be an interesting game you know 5 5A versus 1A games are always interesting to see because you know it's it's such a David versus Goliath type matchup but you know who knows? Lamar, you know, they they could do something. Probably won't be won't win that game because I mean they weren't even able to beat the bottom team 
in Region 6-5A in St. James last season. So I doubt they'd be able to beat Carolina Forest. But we'll have to wait and see. Going down to Region 3, Region 3, I think, is wide open. You know, Blackville Hilda was the team that won it last year, uh, but Wagner Sally was right behind them. Granted, Blackville Hilda destroyed them in the head-to-head matchup. But I, I think Blackville Hilda is probably the team to beat again this year. But I could see Wagner Sally or Wilson Elko making a run. And even Hunter Kenner Taylor. I mean, I think that that region is is wide open. And if one team gets hot, I could see them at least making a run into the playoffs, if not potentially winning the whole region. So that's going to be one to watch. Um, I'm going to pick Blackville to win the, win the region again. Uh, but, again, it, it could be... It could be any of those teams. I think any team, if if they get hot, they they could win it. Uh, Region four. I I think it probably is Carver's Bay. Uh, you know, Carver's Bay is to win. But you know, the one team I think the the one thing the one team to look out for I think that I think will make an improvement and you know I mean granted this year it will be a lot easier to make it into the playoffs because they're mo- they're going back to the 32 teams with four teams per region Clarendon I think has a chance of making a run uh and then you know see what happens there uh region 5 region 5 is going to be interesting because you know, Lakeview is still going to be good, but they've lost a few pieces this year. This year, uh, you know, Green Sea Floyd's—they struggled last year, but then they're also, uh, well, relatively speaking, they—they they were still three and, uh, you know, they were still 500. They still had a decent season, but, you know, they weren't what a lot of people expected them to be. They were, you know, a three-time you know, back-to-back-to-back state champions. Uh, you know, they they still had Jaquan Dixon at the time. And that's something that I'll, I'll ask Ian Guerin about is, you know, how much of an impact does that make on this team? Which I'm sure it's going to be a lot. But now it's going to be how are they going to be able to rebound from that? Um think hmm, this is a tough one this is this is a tough region to predict i think johnsonville actually comes out of this region and wins it all i think lakeville will be right behind them lakeview will be right behind them um and green sea floyd will be right there as well uh but i i'm gonna predict i'm gonna take johnsonville to win win region five uh, in Region 6, Bamberg, Earhart, Allendale, Fairfax. Uh, the one team I think that will make 
that will be better this year. And I think we'll be able to potentially do something. You know, at, well, they'll, they'll almost certainly make the playoffs, but, you know, I think they could be maybe even a two seed is Estill. I, I think they have a chance of, of having a much better season this year than they did last year. Uh, but I think Bamberg Earhart is still the team to beat uh, in Region 6. And then in Region 7, uh, you know, Whale Branch is still going to be good, but I think I think Baptist Hill is going to take that next step, and they're going to win this win this region. I mean, they were very close. They just needed one ball to bounce the right way in order for them to beat Whale Branch, who they lost to to by only one point in Week Three. So you know, it's not like they were you know. It's not like it was a big gap between them and Whale Branch. So I think Baptist Hill is able is able to uh, get over that hurdle. Whale Branch, you know, beat everyone else in the region and and win the region this year. Uh, I think Whale Branch will be at two again, uh, but that will be the only switch that I would see in in that in that re or in yeah in that region. And like I mentioned, you know, um, I think Johnsonville will be the team that makes it out of, um, I think Johnsonville will be the team that makes it out of the lower state into the state championship game. Last year, it it was Lakeview. Uh, So I'm going to predict Johnsonville will make it out of the lower state. With Bamberg Earhart being the runner-up in the uh, lower state again, um, but like I mentioned, I still think Southside Christian is going to be the team to beat uh, in 1A. And what's going to be interesting there, especially if Southside Christian is able to do what they did last year, which they won. You know, they they won just about every state championship uh, last season. You know, you you go through it. Let's go. Let's go through it real quick, actually, because this this is going to be interesting to see how how this works out this season. They they changed the website. They they changed how the website is on uh on, uh, on the SEHSL website. So now it's uh it's different. So they they didn't win the girls basketball championship but they made it to the state championship game losing to military magnet on the boys side 
they did win the state championship game. Ball. Um, they actually don't have the the baseball side the the baseball uh, bracket listed, but I if I remember correctly, I think they did at least make it into the uh, state championship game. On the football side, obviously they they did win the state championship game, uh, be, beating Lakeview. On the boys' soccer side, boys' soccer, they won it. Girls' soccer, well, girls' soccer only goes up to 2A. And they did not play in that, so... Um, On the softball... For softball, I actually don't have softball listed either, but I'm not, I believe they did uh, win the softball tournament as well, or at least came close. And then rounding things off with volleyball, they did win volleyball. So they won the vast majority of the team's this this past season. So it's going to be interesting if they can do that again. And now granted, realignment is the the talk for realignment and and even the decisions will be made before the spring sports are played. Or at least as long as the timeline works in the same way as it did a couple of years ago or well last year really. But still, you'll have an idea by then of how successful Southside is again this year. And a lot of people, this was why they were thinking of adding that, you know, that um, that competitive aspect to the the region realignment. Um, I have a feeling that there's going to be a lot of um, colorful debate, shall we say, um, about whether or not Southside Christian needs to be pushed back up to 2A, especially if they win everything this year again. Because that a lot of people were thinking, oh, they're, they're too strong for 1A. Even though their, you know, enrollment is very small, they, you know, they're able to recruit. Well, not really recruit, but you get what I'm saying. You know, they're they're a private they're a private school in the SEHSL, so guys can, uh, you know, enroll themselves into the uh, school instead of it just being based on where you live. So it's. It, a lot of people consider it as a competitive advantage, and that's going to be an interesting thing about this new realignment. That to see what they do with these these schools, you know, the the collegiate academies, uh, Southside Christian, you know, Oceanside, Gray Collegiate, especially now with Legion leaving and going to the North Carolina Independent School. Uh, association 
we'll have to wait and see if that makes any impact on what what these schools do uh when it comes to all that so so there there's my my overall predictions on 1A um you know not too much to talk about with 1A you know yes it's important but a lot you know unless you're a fan of one of those schools that's the uh classification that gets uh focused on the least you would have to say because it's the lowest uh but like I said I think Southside Christian wins it all again this year I think it'll be Johnsonville who will face off against them uh, in the state championship game this year. Um, so we're a little over 10 minutes before uh, Ian Guerin calls in. Um, go through a few other notes real quick. Um, I'll talk about the the Horry County news at the end. But first, uh, Jazzy and Gortman from Keenan. Well, I mentioned that already. Never mind. Uh, Jaleel Skinner from Greer, who's been getting a ton of offers. He's one of the top recruits in the in the state. He will be playing in the All-American Bowl next, se- next year. And that will be a gr- great opportunity for him to uh, showcase his talent on a national level. Adam Randall from Myrtle Beach ranked the fourth wide receiver in the nation according to recruits college football that's a big honor for him and he's been he's been showing out he's been showing what he's capable of and you know Clemson's getting a great one and this year with Myrtle Beach is going to be very interesting Davin Jackson like I mentioned earlier Davin Jackson tore his ACLs during summer ball will not be playing his senior season at Sumter. That's going to be a big blow for the Gamecocks. And it's it it really now he's not the whole team obviously. But I but that injury at least to me and like I said we're we're going to talk, you know, 5A will be the last one that we'll do. 5A will do at the, you know, on the 20th, right before opening night. But Region 6 5A with that injury opens it wide up. And Region 6, I think, is going to be, and and yes, I may be a little biased because that's the region I see the most, but I think that's going to be the region that's going to be the most intriguing to see how things work um, around uh, around that region, um, and it's going to be interesting to see what what thing you know what uh, there's a lot of storylines surrounding the region that that will be fun to watch. Hyatt, like I mentioned, transferring from uh, Dutch Fork to IMG Academy. It's Dutch Fork, so I don't think it's going to hurt them too much. But that is kind of an in, it, it, it's an interesting thing to look at. It's an interesting case study 
and it kind of shows where things are going just on on a high school athletics level right now where Dutch Fork is is you know is the best school football team in the state has been for half a decade now yet and and a lot of people accuse them of recruiting and everything yet when push comes to shove for the top of the line for a top of the line recruit like a Davin Jackson or not Javin not Javin Jackson, excuse me, Devin Hyatt. Uh for a top recruit like Hyatt, he says, I'd rather go to the the big academy down in Florida to play my senior year instead of staying at Dutch Fork. So it really shows that, you know, there is kind of there is a hierarchy of high school athletics now, it seems, where you've got, you know, you've got the local schools where, you know, especially the small local schools where it's only, uh, you know, where it's only the local kids, that's the only way you can get in, and they're not all that great, you know, or they may be decent depending upon where you're at. You know, if you get an area that it's, you know, that you get really good athletes, they may be good, but they're not going to be able to compete with the schools that, you know, either, uh, you know, either intentionally or unintentionally are essentially recruiting. Then you've got the more, re- then you've got the regional schools, which, you know, they're drawing in players from a slightly wider area, but still not overtly recruiting. And they're they can be good or or not so good. Think Myrtle Beach. You know, think how Myrtle Beach does it. Um and, you know, they it, it can vary in success. Then you've got the the upper end public schools, which, you know, while not directly, you know, they convince or or players want to move to those areas. Players want to move to those areas in order to play on those teams. And they talk to the coach ahead of time and whatnot. That's like a Dutch fork. Then you have the collegiate academies, which they are able to, at least to an extent, recruit in the sense that they can, you know, they're, a pri- they're private schools. Well, they're public-private hybrids, I guess you could call them, um, where you can choose to go to that school. And those are the ones that, you know, are, uh, you know, are being successful now. You know, think Oceanside, Gray Collegiate, uh, Legion Collegiate. And then you have these, you know, pure academies like, you know, this is what Legion is trying to do now. But think like IMG, you know, even if you go, you know, even if you go up north to an extent, not quite. I mean, no one is doing what IMG is doing. That's right now. But, you know, 
you know, even, you know, back in the day, you know, Don Bosco, Paramus Catholic, Bergen Catholic up in Jersey, you know, they were essentially looking for the top athletes in the area and saying, hey, come come play for us. Because that's where you knew you were going to get the exposure. You know, if you were a great athlete in a small town, you weren't going to stay and play in your town's high school. You were going to go to one of the prep schools. And that's essentially the town. And whether it's good or bad for high school athletics is something that's going to be up for debate over the next few years. And what's going to make it even more interesting now is, you know, for those of you who have not been following the news, Mikey Williams, who is, you know, considered the the biggest uh, the the biggest recruit in the country for for basketball. Now, this is something that probably will only happen for basketball, at least as of right now. You may see it in football a little bit, like you could see. Someone like an Arch Manning could potentially have something like this happen. And it probably will only happen for the elite high school athletes instead of it being for, you know, just about everyone in college. Um, But Mikey Williams has signed an NIL deal. And that's something that's going to be interesting to see how it works out whether or not that will hold up where, you know, will will this continue where they will allow high school kids to make money off of their name, image, and likeness? I'm not sure what I think of that, whether I think it's a good thing or, or not so good thing, but it's going to be something that, at least for the time being, until they're able to till they're able to come up with a more uh cohesive system and a more uh more direct uh ruling and law and all of that throughout the country you could see potentially making money. And how does that change? And, you know, the thing, like I said, I think this is going to have a much bigger impact on basketball than it will on football. Overtime league that's being created. uh, And with name image and likeness now and all of that, there's going to be a lot of things that are going to change the landscape of not just college but high school athletics over the next few years and schools are just going to have schools and and fans and parents and athletes are just going to either have to adapt or they're going to be left behind that's just how it's going to be so i'll take a quick break and come right back we'll have ian garen from myori news coming on at the top of the hour, we'll talk about a bunch of things um, going on around the area. Um, like I mentioned, di- didn't get to mention it, uh, ran out of time.
but I'll mention it when we come back on the air uh, with Ian Garen right here on Sports Unlimited on Southern Sports Central. Keep it locked right here. Welcome back to Sports Unlimited right here on Southern Sports Central as we await Ian Garen calling in from Maori News. Like I mentioned, the the one thing, the the big thing we're going to be talking about with him uh, before we talk about some Green Sea Floyd stuff is the fact that Jason Cox was named the Horry County District Athletic Director they decided to announce that earlier on in the summer that they were going to get a district athletic director to just help out with overall district athletic affairs. Uh, And he was the one that was chosen as the Conway AD. Will remain the baseball coach as well, so he'll have his hand he'll have his work cut out for him he'll have his hands full over at Conway as well and right off the bat right off the bat Jason Cox got to work fast he um they announced uh just a couple of or just earlier this past week uh announced last week that Horry County Schools will be getting turf fields over the next couple of seasons. Um, that was, you know, that was a big talking point after seeing Florence schools get them. Um, after seeing the, the Florence schools get them, the Horry County schools 
a lot of coaches were talking about it saying, hey, we want this too, and they're going to get it now. They're going to do it in three phases. Kind of weird how they're doing it, though. Because doing it in three phases, the first two phases, um, well, the the first phase is four teams. The second phase is three teams. And then Conway is by themselves in the final phase. So kind of interesting, kind of weird how how that worked out, um, where Conway is left on its own island at the end. Uh, the first four schools that will get it – now, I don't know – I believe this has officially been approved, uh, but not 100% sure. But the first phase start next summer. We'll, we'll ask Ian when he comes on. Uh, in just a little bit. Uh, the first phase will be Carolina Forest, St. James, Socasty, and Loris as the first four schools to get it. Socasty, at least according to the notes, will also get an upgrade uh, to the stadium itself, believed to be the visitor's side bleachers. Uh, and I'll have to ask, that's another question I'll have to ask Ian Garen is, it, are there any plans of more stadium builds a la what we've seen in Florence? Um, and then the second phase is going to be Aner, Green Sea Floyds, and North Myrtle Beach with Conway rounding things off in, uh, in three years' time. Uh, so that's going to be, going to be something that's going to be interesting to see, interesting to, uh, look out for, and, uh, you know, where it's going to be, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, if, if that, uh, has any impact on, just you know, just how the schools perform and and how the schools feel, how the fields feel, it's definitely going to make things feel more, um, more legit. You know, uh, while while some of the schools need it more than others, um, you know, I think, and this is why personally, if I would have if I would have been doing it. And now, granted, maybe, you know, Matt Real asked for them to be uh, further up than, you know, be a little bit further up because he didn't like having to do it as much. But out of the, out of all of the football fields in the area, or at least out of the ones that are, are grass, North Myrtle Beaches is the nicest. They actually paint it. They put the log they put the Chiefs logo in the in the middle of the field. They put they put Chiefs in the end zone. They they paint up the end zone. You know, it, it looks like a legitimate field, whereas a lot of the other schools, pretty much all the other uh grass fields 
they uh all the other grass fields um they just paint the lines they don't put anything in the at at midfield or in the end zones so that makes it you know that's you know more of a high school football type feel to it um you know but now with them getting the turf it's going to make it to where they're going to be able to now play on actual, you know, you know, real fields that look like, you know, full-fledged football fields, which is going to be which is going to be nice. It's going to be nice to see uh it's going to be nice to see them have um have, you know, these turf fields. And and I'm I'm curious because you know, so there is that big debate amongst coaches of there is that big debate amongst coaches of what's better for the health and for the safety of players, turf or grass, uh, because turf, you know, you get some injuries as a result of it, but at the same time, you know, it's you know, it's it's better. There, there's always a, um, there's always a trade-off when it comes to things like this. On one hand, you have the bigger threat of injuries because of just how turf is; it's a little more solid and stuff like that. But at the same time, maybe not so much for football. But for the other sports, for soccer and lacrosse, you have more of a risk of injury on grass because of the wear and tear it takes, and you, you know, the the field not being perfectly kept, and as a result, having an injury that way. So it's kind of a it's a catch twenty two there. Um, and a lot, a, a lot of more traditionalists say, "Oh, this is just you know, Ori kind of trying to keep up with the Joneses and have a good appearance and all that." And you know, that may be part of it, but it is also that maintenance issue. You know, uh, coaches. You know, like I mentioned, maybe you know this. I think this may be why North Merrill Beach is where they were. You know, Matt Real didn't like having to worry about manicuring the field constantly. Uh, but who knows? Maybe, maybe that is what it is. Maybe not. But um, it, it's going to make things look a lot better for, especially for the five A and four A schools, who you know outside of North Merrill Beach, who they you know do their field up very well and all that. You know, you know Carolina Forest, Conway, St. James, Sacramento. Well, Sacristy. No, actually, I don't think I, I don't re I don't believe so. Yeah, Sacristy did not put anything on their field. So now they'll be able to get you know those you know midfield logos, end zone logos, end zone lettering, all of that good stuff. Um, the one thing I hope that they will do though 
along with this, and this is something that uh, I'm not sure I, I, Ian Gary might have gotten busy with some things this morning with his kids or whatnot. Uh, so we'll try to get him on um, or Brandon Dunn on next week. Uh, the one thing I'm hoping for uh, next thing I'm hoping is at least something that they they think about doing, even if it's not right away, is building better stadiums at, around the fields as well, like what they're doing in Florence. Now, the one problem with that, now I guess the, well, no, not really. The one problem, and I guess theoretically you could try to make a deal with Coastal or, or something. You you could figure out a way around this problem, but the one problem that that the Ori County Schools have in terms of building new stadiums as compared to Florence is that if you have a delay like they had this past year as a result of COVID, remember, Florence was supposed to get their new stadiums last year. But because of COVID, they couldn't, and they had to stay at Memorial. If if that happened, if that happened, and there was some sort of delay on construction of one of the stadiums, now you could try to finagle the schedule around. Maybe use Doug Shaw a couple of times, but with five teams, well, really eight teams. But five teams just thinking about 5A and 4A, unless you were able to make some sort of deal with both Doug Shaw and with Stadium at Coastal, and, and, think, and think about it too, Coastal, while they'll sometimes play on like a Thursday night too, they do all play on Friday night. Maybe not often, but enough to where that would cause a scheduling co- conflict as well. So you you don't have that built-in situation of, oh, we have a fallback that we've been using for years anyway if there's a delay. That would be the one problem where they would have to start construction stadium pretty much immediately after the final game of the season for whatever school and just hope and pray that nothing happens as a result. Um, but, yeah, it's uh, it's going to be interesting to see. I'm, I'm certainly looking forward to seeing the new turf fields and see what they look like and all of that. Um, but at the same time, it, you know, like I said, I'm hoping that there is other additions to go along with it, but we'll have to wait and see on that. Not saying that the, that the stadiums that, 
the local schools have aren't nice already, but it's one of those situations where when you look at some of the stadium, the newer stadiums that are being built, whether you look at uh, whether you look at the Florence schools and the fact that you know that that middle ro- the upper middle row uh, is you know, regular seats, not bleachers. And you look at a stadium like Ridgeviews that has that beautiful press box. You know, you know, think about what that would do for Horry County School football if you could have stadiums like that. I mean, now, granted, this is you know the the budget there is much bigger. They do so much more. But look at a stadium like Dorman. You know, look at Dorman and what they've done there. Um, I mean, even you know this this is helped by geography. But look at a stadium like Sumter Memorial. You know, those stadiums are are amazing. You know, especially for a high school field, you know, but, but, you know, again, it's budget issues and the fact that you'd have to do it for eight schools instead of, you know, Florence, they only had to do it for three. So that difference could, that, that would make the difference between having, you know, having a stadium like that and, and having a more generic stadium. So, you know, while I'm glad that they're putting turf in and everything, and I, I love the fact that we're getting turf fields and all of that, at the same time, I'm hoping there's more added on to it eventually. Um, but yeah, you know, Football in Horry County is looking up. We'll talk more about it over these next few weeks. Next week, we won't actually have any Horry County teams to talk about because in 2A, there aren't any. Uh, so we may may or may not actually have uh, Ian Garen on next week. Pre- may bring on Brandon Dunn instead. Um, he'll be able to talk about Region 7, talk about Marion and Latta and Mullins. Um, and those schools, the the schools that are within the the PD, but not in uh, not in not not on the Grand Strand, not in Horry County. Uh, so, but we we may try to get in still to come on next week to talk about you know what's going on with. Uh, with the stadiums, get his thoughts on all that. Um, and then just go from there. Uh, you know, but like I said, you know, with with this stadium situation, it, it definitely helps. It, it definitely helps. Uh, it helps get players excited. I mean, look at how excited. And, you know the the correlation and causation pattern of this is definitely up for debate. You don't know how much this impacts things and 
obviously them bringing in a few players because of the pandemic, shutting down football in other states helped. But how much did the excitement of the new lights and that light show at North Myrtle Beach enhance that team and get them to where they got this past season? You know, um, it, it could be, it, it could be a, uh, I, I, I think there could be a little bit of uh causation there. You know, how much is up for debate, obviously, but I think it could have at least helped. And I think having the turf fields and, and having that nice design and really having it feel like it's your own stadium I think would help as well. So it's going to be fun to see how 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 that impacts things um moving forward. Unfortunately, I think uh Ian had to do something this morning or something um and as a result um will not be able to join me this morning. Like I mentioned, We'll try to get him on time over these uh we'll definitely get him on over sometime over these next couple of weeks, get his thoughts on, you know, a bunch of different things around around the Grand Strand. Um one thing I wanna mention before before I take a break and then may uh may sign off a little early because I thought I would have, you know, Ian on to be able to, uh, you know, talk to him, fill in some time. If you guys want to call in and, and fill some time with me, talk about anything sports-related, uh, be sure to do so. 323-784-9681 is that number to call. That number again, 323-784-9681. Um, but before, before I take a break, I just wanted to give a quick shout out to the owner of Southern Sports Central, Richie Altman, who will, unfortunately, we will not be able to have our announcer rivalry this year as he has moved up towards the uh, Charlotte area, Charlotte slash slash Rock Hill area. Um, And so he'll be covering that side of things more, more often now. Um, I got the Grand Strand. We still do have uh, Eugene down in the Low Country, uh, but this year's going to be interesting. This year's going to be a little different um, on on how things are run here at Southern Sports Central. And like I said, it's it's going to be it, it's kind of disappointing that because uh, I was looking forward to it. I, I said it when when the schedule came out. For Carolina Forest, well, first it was Fort Dorchester who first released their version, and I saw Carolina Forest on the schedule. I was like, "Oh wow, this this is going to be fun. This is going to be fun to see him, uh, you know, be able to have him come up here, us have a little uh, announcer rivalry thing going on uh, throughout that game, and then you know, and then we can do something afterwards." Unfortunately, that that won't be the case uh, anymore. 
Uh, but yeah, so you know that's uh, and apparently, uh. We are going to get Ian Garen coming on in just a second here. Lo- Ian lost track of time, so can't I, I, I won't hold it against him. Uh, so we'll be having him call in just a second. We're waiting on him to call, and there he is. Ian, how's it going this morning? Yeah, good morning. I'm sorry for the the delay. I'm upright enough where I can uh, edge my yard, and uh, you know, time <laughs> just gets away from you sometimes when you're doing the exciting, oh, yeah. uh, exciting home life. Yes, yes, it, exciting home life indeed. Ho- I, I hope your summer has been good. Yeah, yeah, it's always. Uh, Always a ramp up to football season. It, uh, it it feels like there's nothing to do, and then there's everything to do all at once. It's uh, part well, of the, you, part of the excitement. You've had your work cut out for you a little bit more than usual uh, this year with uh, with the movement around the county. With you know, most notably Jason Cox being named the new county athletic director. Thus far, you know, around the county, how has what he's been up to been received? Yeah, I mean, I think everybody's really excited about it because it shows that the district is willing to have somebody in a position that that has, you know, the superintendent's ear. You know, Roger Dixon, as, you know, they they labeled him as a district liaison, but he was an at-will hourly employee. I mean, he turned in time cards. I mean, this was not... Um, a, a top level job in the district and and Roger brought you know a real passion to the job you know he could go into a room and he could get people excited about tennis courts and tracks and you know things like that and and that is that has really been invaluable to the county now at the same time you know Roger was still very far down the pecking order you know if he had an idea that he thought needed to be executed. Uh, there were a lot of a lot of hoops to jump through just to get that idea in front of the right people. Um, you know, with Jason Cox being hired as a district-wide athletics director, it changes that a little bit because you're talking about somebody who's you know um, you know making close to six figures. Uh, you can't just ignore what he has to say. You can't shove him into a corner. I mean, otherwise the the district itself is going to catch heat. So, you know, I think that's what people are really excited about because now when, you know, a basketball coach at a school or a football coach or softball, whatever it is, needs something, they go to that person and that person turns around and and walks a couple doors down. You know, I, I think that that's, that is why it's being received so well. Well, he he made a big move right off the bat, and I has this has the the turf field initiative officially been confirmed yet, or is it still yeah, being yeah 
Yeah, it was it was approved out of residual funds, which basically meant that money was sitting there um, in the facilities committee's wheelhouse, and they had um, you know they could do it. They could they could take care of it that way. Um, you know, it, right around nine and a half million dollars. I mean, it's it's big money, but it's not you know oh we're going to build eight more schools, new money. You know, so they're able to kind of get that in. Now, you, you started to allude to Jason. And with this, I'm going to tell people this was not Jason. Um, Mm. This was something that has been talked about for years and really, really talked about for months. You know, this was one of Roger's pet projects. You know, this was something that he decided long ago needed to happen. You know, people don't understand that part of what Roger was doing the whole time he was at Soxie and helping out at the other schools in the area before he kind of started helping out the district office was Roger is very, very educated on turf. You know, he uh, went and got uh, certified in, in what's called GMAX. And it's, it's basically, he can tell you how hard the ground is, you know, things like that are, are something that, you know, that, that he was doing even when he wasn't technically being paid to, to do it. You know, he he was the one that that was kind of pushing this all along. And and anybody who's followed me on Twitter for a few years knows that I'm very pro uh, synthetic turf. Um, You know, it's it's something that in this area with the ground, the way it is, with our tendency for flooding that needs to happen. You know, Mm -hmm. there's no reason why a football coach should have to spend 15 or 20 hours a week working on their field you know, and, and basically not getting paid for it, you know. So this is something that, you know, is it cheaper than, than grass? Not necessarily because you've got to get, you know, 12, 15 years out of it. But the amount of time that it goes in to maintain grass, I mean, look, Horry County Schools just doesn't have that in their budget to, to give mm-hmm. every high school in the area, you know, a full grounds crew. It's just, it's not feasible, Um you know, synthetic turf is, is as safe as it's ever been. This isn't the old AstroTurf, you know, days where everybody who steps foot on the field is going to blow out an ACL. I mean, yeah. this stuff is safe, um, you know, and, and it's ready. And it, it was time. It was actually it was well, well past time for this to happen. What has been the reaction? I know you've been a bit, big advocate for it, but what has been the reaction amongst the coaches in the area to this? Are there any guys that would prefer to still have the grass? No, there are definitely pro-grass guys, you know, but I, I think they all understand, too, that they don't want to be mowing and watering and painting and, and edging and, and everything else that you have to do to make these things you know, look really good on Friday nights underneath the light, you know? So, yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, guys like Joey Price, you know, huge grass guy, you know, he would much rather play on natural grass. He'd also, you know, not have to worry about if it rains on Thursday night, can his field be playable on Friday? So, you know, there's a give and take to it, you know, and, and look, if, if, if high school stadiums around here were maintained like Arrowhead, and they had a full grounds crew, you know, working on that field every day, then, yeah, absolutely, grass is is better. But that's just not the reality of the situation. Um, I know in the proposal it it talked about potentially in addition to Socket Steve Stadium 
is that the only stadium getting any sort of upgrade, or could we potentially see stadiums as a whole being built around these new turf fields like we saw in the Florence district? Yeah, no, not at this point. And Sankasi desperately needs some new bleachers, especially on the visiting side. That was, you know, when that stadium was initially built, that was the home side. And, you know, even just a couple of years ago, there was still the original press box on that. You know, I, I, I don't know how in any way, shape or form it was up to code uh, for as long as it was, because none of us, you know, dared set foot inside of it. But, you know, they finally just took that thing down not too long ago. Um, you know, but those, those visiting side stands, I mean, they're, you can see it. I mean, obviously they've been, you know, cleared, um, by fire marshal or whoever, you know, but they desperately need to, to be upgraded, you know, and that's where the money in that comes from. You know, I, I've seen some of the possible projections for what their turf will look like. And, and I got to tell you, Soxty people should be really, really excited right now because it looks good. Um, they, they've color schemed it out. Uh, you know, it's going to match the school colors and, and they're kind of using Socasty as the, um, I forgot what the term was, but basically the test case, you know, they want to see how good they can make that one look and then basically go tell everybody else. Okay. Now we can do this with yours. You know, they might get an early start on that one, which would be huge because, um, you know, getting making sure that it's done for next football season is obviously the key. But if they get started this winter and they can do that in, you know, 10, 12, 14 weeks, something like that, then the spring sports will have it, you know, for, for this, you know, upcoming school year as well. So I, I really think that, that people are going to be jazzed up when they see it, though. So are they planning on doing – this, I thought on the original proposal it was saying starting summer of next year. Are you saying we might get some fields done this winter? The, they're talking about, and I don't know, I haven't talked to anybody at the district office in a couple of days about this, but I know that they were they were floating the idea of doing uh, Socasty over the winter. And I can tell you that it was discussed enough where Socasty – is looking at backup plans for spring sports seasons, i.e., I. where are they going to go play? Mm-hmm. You know, if they don't have if they don't have their soccer stadium, you know, if they can't play lacrosse there, you know. So though it, it's at least being discussed now. If that doesn't happen, I mean, obviously it's not the end of the world. They're just going to do it over the summer, and you know, nobody loses a, a home season. But but yeah, for greater good, if if they can get it done this winter, then they're they're gonna they're going to put their foot on the gas and get it done. I know there isn't any proposal right now, but that was one thing I was thinking about when it came to not so much the turf, but if they tried, if they wanted to expand the stadiums at all, where, if there were a delay, where would teams potentially play if they couldn't use their home field? This isn't like Florence where they have a Memorial stadium right there. Well, yes and no. Um, you know, Horry County Schools has a 50-year contract with the city of Myrtle Beach for Dunk Shaw. I mean, I think it goes through 2047, if I'm not mistaken. And if I got that number right, holy heck, did I just pull that <laughs> out of nowhere. But I'm pretty sure it's 2047. And, you know, so Doug Shaw is a countywide stadium right now. You know, everybody calls it Myrtle Beach's field, but it's yeah. not. It's the city of Myrtle Beach and Horry and County Schools. You know, so if they needed to, 
every school in the county could play its games there, and and there's no, you know, there, there's there's basically nothing stopping that from happening, you know, and and the city is going to be, you know, obviously not not complaining about it too much because, you know, there's obviously dates that they've got circled where they need, you know, they need use of that field and everything, but I mean that's that's a showcase for them. I mean, it makes the city of Myrtle Beach look good too, you know. So, I mean, they've they've got that working. I mean, the other thing to keep in your mind is, is that the football coaches here really get along. You know, at any given time, if they need help, they can call one of the yeah. other ones and, and get it done. Yeah. Um, obviously, we've seen Coastal step up a few times, you know, and offer up, you know, Brook Stadium, um, you know, and now that the the CNB and Coastal have a three-year deal in place. I mean, there's that potential to you know, kind of open things up as well. You know, mm-hmm. obviously, Matt Hogue at, at Coastal is he knows the value of opening the doors. He knows that every time he lets you know a parent come in and you know watch a high school football game, that it might increase the chances that they come in and watch a college football game. So you know, the, the, all these relationships are are kind of in my mind uh, at an all-time high. So I think that that, you know, kind of helps facilitate everybody's needs, you know, and if it comes down to, you know, oh, wait, we don't have a football stadium until week four of 2022, you know, I, I think you're going to see all sorts of options to make sure that, that people have a place to play. Yeah, but I I was thinking of Doug Shaw and uh, and Brooks Stadium, but I, I, I guess they'd probably do it kind of like what they did, well, Florence only had three schools to worry about, whereas here you'd have eight. But you would you would probably do it similarly to how they're doing it now, where it would only be three or four schools at most doing it at once, so you wouldn't have as yeah. much of an issue of of scheduling. No, and that's part of it. Phase one was four schools. You know, phase two is three schools, and phase three is is just Conway. You know, so I mean, you're talking about at max. You know, say say we have like an early hurricane, you know, next, you know, the end of next summer or something, you know, or, or middle of the summer and it slows everybody down by two weeks. You know, it's four schools. And you got to remember, they're also going on the road, too. You know, mm-hmm. they, they've got road games scheduled. It's not like every game's at home and they've got, you know, so you're talking about a handful of games, you know, at worst. And that's if they don't get all four of them done. And And you better believe that. You know, St. James and Carolina Forest and Soxty and I think Loris was the other the other school in, yeah. in Phase One. You you, you got to believe that if they get those done, and something happens with another school in the, in the district, they're going to be using that field. They're going to find a way to to put kids and cameras and, and parents and everything else because they're going to want to show those those you know, those suckers off. You know, mm. so you know the second they get one done. Everybody in the area benefits. I mean, this is totally rising tides lifts all boats because the other schools that don't have the synthetic turf now have access to the ones that do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that that's a good point. Is there any was there any rhyme or reason for why they chose who would go first and who you know the order in which the schools were going to get the turf? Yeah, they I mean they weren't flipping coins if that's what you're asking. I mean they 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 did all sorts of um they had all sorts of meetings about 
whose fields were landlocked and, and who needed additional work under the track before they could put the, you know, because, you know, the, the turf is, uh, you know, they, they've got a couple different ways of doing it. I mean, they can lay it down as a single piece. They can lay it down in strips, you know, but they, they kind of looked at what everybody had right now. They looked at who's gotten the, uh, the new drainage systems. I mean, they, you know, I, I'm not going to, say they did the right thing or the wrong thing by choosing who they chose. But you also have to look at how many teams are using that field. You know, people always just think of football, but what they don't think of is junior varsity football, beach yeah. football, and middle school football. They don't think about lacrosse and boys and girls varsity and junior varsity lacrosse. They don't think of boys and girls soccer and junior varsity yeah. soccer and middle school, you know, so, you know, school like Carolina Forest, I mean, you know, like during the spring, I mean, you know, to have 15 or 20 events on their football field in the spring uh, is, is not unheard of. So, yeah. you know, obviously that played into it as well. Any chance, and I, I, I'm assuming this would be a long shot, especially with the fact that Boise has you'd have to pay the rights to it. Any chance that we get a blue North Merrill Beach turf field? <laughs> Probably not. You know, they're gonna they're gonna do this. They're getting like a group rate. You know, they're gonna get a group rate. Let me rephrase that because as far as I know they don't have bids in yet, but mm-hmm. and they haven't selected a company. But you know, there's gonna be some color scheme going. But I mean th- this isn't th- this isn't the uh top of the line, you know, college football stadium. I mean, obviously we, you know, we've, you know, all seen, you know, the, the Smurf turf up there and, and everything that they've done with it and, and how much notoriety it's, it's notability rather it's given them, but, you know, look, they're, they want to make it look good. Um, they're also, you know, nine and a half million dollars, you know, is, yes. is being spread eight ways. So, you know, I think that the, um, some of those sacrifices are going to be made, you know, and if they've got to spend more money on something, it's going to make, sh- it's going to be to make sure that the field lasts longer, not that it's, you know, the right, you know, color tone. Look, looking ahead to this season, I, this morning I was previewing uh, the one a season. Um, what are your thoughts on green C Floyd's this season? Yeah. Jury's still out, you know, you know, one of the, things that I'm I'm really interested to see is just you know last year was so it was just such a weird year um, you know with how people adjusted to not having summer workouts and then the shortened season and teams didn't have time to get their feet under them Um, you know at the same time you know Green Sea losing Jaquan Dixon is just I mean that he's he might be the best football player that's ever come through that school Mm-hmm. You know, he might be the, mo- the the most. Let me let me rephrase that. The, the most productive, at least. Mm-hmm. You know, so you know, they 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 dealt with a new coach last year, and now this year they're they're dealing with losing, you know, a, kind of an iconic high school player. You know, he's definitely on the Mount Rushmore of Trojan athletics. You know, so I, I need to I, I need to see him with pads on before you know I start getting too judgmental on him. But mm-hmm. you know, I just I just don't think you can ignore that. Yeah, well, you t- you took the words right out of my mouth on my next question. How do they manage to replace Dixon's productivity? 
yeah, I mean, they, they're going to have to find, you know, some, some bodies who can step in, you know, I don't think there's any one player walking the halls at green C Floyd's high school right now. That's going to, it's going to step in and, and take on that load. But, you know, look, Joey Price has won 242 games as a head football coach. You know, they, the guys, the guys been around the block, you know, his, his setup in North Carolina was pretty sweet. And, you know, he had, you know, a ton of athletes at a really small school, but, you know, he, he's, he knows what he's doing. You know, I think that, you know, right now, I think he's a good fit for Green Sea. I think he can, he can motivate guys. I can tell you they were running around like crazy at the the St. James seven on seven deal uh, on Wednesday. You know, they've got some good looking athletes. They don't look like a typical one school. I'll tell you that. So, you know, they, the, the potential is definitely there. Yeah, we'll we'll have to wait and see how they do. They definitely had a disappointing season last year, uh, not even making the playoffs. So they're going to want to look to rebound from that. Uh, Great, as always, talking to you, Ian. Uh, Enjoy the rest of the summer. We'll talk to you uh, soon again. And we're only a few weeks away from week one. Yeah, buckle up, baby. It's almost here. It is indeed. Thanks for joining me and uh, look forward to seeing you uh, soon at a game. All right. Thanks, Brandon. Yep. Ian Garrett from Maori News. Always fun talking to him. Um, you know, and, and it was great to get him on. And, you know, it uh, sounds like right now they're going to completely focus on just getting the turf in. And, and he makes a good point. He, he actually made a lot of good points that I didn't. I didn't initially think about is the fact that, um, you know, especially if you do it like this, where it's the turf first, um, once you get the turf in to all the stadiums, if you want to try to upgrade some of the stadiums uh, and there is a delay, then you could move one or two games, especially with them doing it in phases. If, if you only have three or four schools and you need to move maybe one or two games in week zero or week one, you can move one to Doug Shaw. You could potentially move one to Brooks stadium. You could move one, uh, you know, let's say, you know, you know, this is after the turf is down and everything, you know, you could potentially move one to like the Hank or something like that, or Carolina forest or where, wherever, wherever they decide to go there. Um, and so that's going to make things interesting. Uh, and I think that's going to, you know, uh, it, it's going to make things go in ways that, you know, I, I'm certain, like, like he said, it doesn't look as though we're going to be getting new stadiums as a whole anytime soon. They're going to get this turf stuff done first and then uh, and then they'll go from there. But if they do decide, which I think they should, I think they should get uh, newer, bigger stadiums as well along with this. Um, you know, once that happens, especially with the turf fields, you can then move a few games around here and there if you need to. So it, it's going to be interesting to see how this goes. Um, I, I'm going to have to ask him. I, I, I kind of want to see that. 
I, I want to see what the uh, rendering uh, is of the um, of the Sakasi field. I want to see what these fields are going to look like. I'm I'm intrigued by that now uh, because you know that's the one thing I've been ta- That's the one thing I was talking about before was what um, w- you know the the fact that these will be personalized for the the teams instead of it just being a bland, you know, uh, no end zone markings, no, no, uh, 50 yard line logo, nothing like that currently on these fields. Uh, it's just a basic football field. I'm curious to see what, what these stadiums are going to look like. Um, so yeah, that should be interesting to see. Um, and then, you know, like like we talked about, just, you know, this is a good way of of expanding uh the reach of Warrior County Schools. I mean, per- personally, on on a kind of selfish level, um I would lo- I I would not mind at all if uh if whether it was for the turf or if they do decide to build bigger stadiums and as a result one of Carolina Forest's home games is moved to Brook Stadium. You know, I'd love to get be able to call a game over at over at Brook Stadium. Um or even Doug Shaw, you know, I'm sure I'll be able to get there at some point. Not this year obviously, but probably next year. Uh but still, you know, Doug Shaw's a pretty nice stadium as well. So, you know, um yeah, just a lot of a lot of good things going on here in Horry County. Uh, for football, which is which is great. Uh, some final notes before I sign off. I may sign off a tiny bit early this morning. Not quite as early as I was originally thinking because, you know, I was able to get Ian Guerin on and we were able to talk for a, a few minutes. Uh, but some transfer news uh, around the state. Uh, I mentioned Devin Hyatt tra- transferring from Dutch Fork to IMG. That's that's a fairly big blow to Dutch Fork, but I think that'll be good. I Barn uh, transferring from Myers Park in North Carolina to Dorman. The rich get richer there with Dorman. Colby Shirley transfers from Somerville to Oceanside. That's another one where it's like where, uh, you know, like I talked about, even Somerville, which is a 5A school, it's a big school. You know, Shirley says I'd rather go to Oceanside, where I feel like I can, you know, get more eyes on me. But on the flip side, Garrison Kepley decided to transfer out of Oceanside to Woodland, probably due to playing time issues. Uh, Chance Westry transferred from. Trinity High School in Pennsylvania out to Hillcrest. Uh, so Hillcrest gets a good piece. Ch- or Isaiah Whiteside transferred from Gilbert to Irmo. Cam Milch- Mitchell transferred from Berkeley to Fort Dorchester. So Fort Dorchester gets some help. Uh, Brian Deese transfers from Marlboro County to Dillon. And a big speculative thing that that a lot, you know, Ian Guerin reported on it, 
um, and it was a big question mark hanging over the Chiefs football team uh, prior to a couple of weeks ago was the will he or won't he with Cam Freeman uh, talking about potentially not playing football this year uh, due to wanting to focus entirely on baseball, obviously going to Georgia Tech next year uh, for baseball, probably talked it over with his coaches at Georgia Tech to see if they wanted him to forego his senior season in order to avoid any potential injuries, but it seems like they gave him the go-ahead and he will play football. He will run the offense for the Chiefs this season once again, and that's a big boost for the Chiefs. This is something we'll have to wait for a couple of weeks. I'll give you the full preview of 4A in a few weeks, but North Merrill Beach, they're going to be good, but I don't think they're going to be good as they were last year. Um, so that'll just about wrap it up for me here this morning. Uh, the one thing I haven't mentioned, but you know, oh, one thing I didn't mention, actually a couple of things I didn't mention before, um, talking about recruiting and, and high school sports here in the state, but also college sports, uh, Will Taylor the the big question mark around him was, will he go to the MLB or won't he? And I'm assuming, just based on what happened with him in the draft, I have a feeling he decided ahead of time that he was going to stay at Clemson because he was projected to be a first-round pick, mid mid to late first-round pick, maybe even early first-round pick. And he dropped all the way down to, I think, the fourth round, if I remember correctly. Uh, But I think the reason why that was is I think he informed teams that were considering drafting him, saying, I'd rather go to college uh, and stay in college for a few years before going pro. And also, I think think this is going to be very much like a Russell Wilson or uh, Kyler Murray type situation where he's a two-sport athlete, but he realizes that if he can if he can succeed in football, he has a better chance of making the big bucks in football than he does in baseball. So that's why he did not he didn't get drafted in the first couple of rounds in the MLB draft and he is headed to Clemson. Uh one quick NFL note Julio Jones was traded to the Titans for a second-round pick and a fourth-round pick. Titans also get a sixth-round pick out of it. And I'm still not completely sold on the Titans as, like, a Super Bowl contender. But especially with what's going on in Houston, I think the Titans have to be the odds-on favorite for the AFC South at this point. Uh, I don't really know any other um, any other teams in the South. You know, Indy should be decent, but I don't know where they're going to be at. Uh, Jacksonville with Trevor Lawrence, that's going to be a work in progress. Houston with everything that's going on with Deshaun Watson, who knows? I think Tennessee has got to be the odds-on favorite in the AFC South now. Um, 
And then one other note, we got, and I think I think it's actually happening right now live. Uh, but tonight, for those of you who don't want to watch it right now, tonight the opening ceremony for the Olympics. Olympics started a couple of days ago with uh, with softball and soccer starting, um, but now we've got now the now the real fun begins um, over these next couple of weeks. And so, between you know ramping up for high school football, you got Olympics, um, you know, so we're gonna have a fun next couple of weeks. Got. You got high school football uh, getting ready to go. You got the Olympics. You still got baseball going on. Should should be a fun run towards uh, the beginning of the football season and, and run to fall. So, and I'll have all of that uh, covered for you right here on Sports Unlimited on Southern Sports Central. So that'll just about wrap it up for me this morning. Hope you guys enjoyed uh hope you guys enjoyed the show. Uh it, it it's been a it, it's been a good one this morning. It's been a lot of fun talking uh it's been a lot of fun talking high school football again. Like I mentioned um you know, over these next couple of weeks, every week we'll do we'll go from bottom to top, uh, going through each classification. Next week we'll talk about two A, uh, then the next the week after that three A, four A, and then finally on the twentieth, right before opening night, will be five A, uh, and we'll have we'll have thoughts on uh the jamborees going on uh the jamborees and the scrimmages going on uh in the beginning and middle of August so lots of things to look forward to uh coming up over these next couple of weeks so that'll just about wrap it up for me here this morning hope you guys enjoyed the show uh it was great to be back a lot of fun this morning, and I'm I'm definitely looking forward to to football season. Hope you guys are as well. Should be a fun one. So once again, now just gonna wrap it up for me this morning. Hope you guys enjoyed the show. For Brandon Bis, I'm Brandon Bisping saying so long, and we'll talk to you guys next week here on Sports Unlimited on Southern Sports Central. So long, everyone.
Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.